And I think I still haven't played my best game, but just putting up career highs this year, it was like, oh, this is a good good feeling that I I know what I can do and you can't stop it. <laughs> so I've had a couple of those games this year and uh, it feels pretty good. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life. And that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. Welcome back. Another episode of Point Forward. I'm Andre. That's E.T. E.T., we're already at episode 19. Yep, and we said the start of the year we're going all out. So, so far, we got 19 hits, zero misses. That is a very interesting take. I wonder how do we define success. That would be a great conversation one day. But I think we are getting better episode by mm-hmm. episode. Um, it's March already, by the way. Like, February was a short one, as usual. Yeah. <laughs> no lie, man. Time flies when you're having fun. And, you know, anyway, this is the 19th episode of season two. Before we drop into our conversation with uh, Lori Marketing or Lowry, I'm sorry, as in uh, Mike Lowry from uh, <laughs> Mike Lowry, shout out to the Bad Boys franchise. Be sure to look out for at Point Forward on TikTok, IG, Substack, and make sure you're catching the pot off of Apple, YouTube, or wherever else you go and get entertained and educated. Yeah, it was super dope uh, speaking to Lowry and getting the proper pronunciation of his name Kyle Kyle Lowry uh similar way to say it but he was more of a fan of Mike Lowry um just a couple hours before you know he played in his first all-star game in Utah and not long after uh we had been building with Jamal Hill in the same setting uh which was which was super interesting man it's super trippy getting to chat with the world's most dangerous man in the light heavyweight division yeah, for sure. He uh, he definitely is a trippy person, a great conversation. And, uh, you know, obviously after uh, the John Jones fight the other night, UFC is definitely back in the spotlight. It's going to be a big spring and summer for him. But um, I'm just glad we were able to get him on the show and show how unique and interesting he was. You know, I think fighters are built different. And uh, when it comes down to it, to see their mindset and, you know, it's kind of, you know, relative to ours, is it's cool to tap into. So, Without further ado, man, let's get into the topics. Point forward. Uh, we had another franchise being sold. Um, it's been happening. It feels like more often than we've been seeing as of late or in the past decade or two. Jimmy Haslam buys mm-hmm. Mark Lazary's stake in the Bucks at a $3.5 billion valuation. Um, very interesting. A lot of questions are with a lot of these sports valuations going up. Big TV deals obviously continue to push the push the valuations up. I want to hear your take on it. Why do you think Mark Lashry would sell right now? Man, I feel like you think about that, you know, that market. They built up that market very, very well in Milwaukee. I think, uh, you know, the new arena, you mm-hmm. know, obviously shout out to Pat Connaughton. He's trying to rebuild uh, the real estate out there as well. But I think to a certain extent, it's not like it's a huge, huge city, big market. I feel like to sell it at four point or however much billion dollars, I feel like you kind of, you're selling out early, but I kind of feel like you, how much higher is it going to get? What do you think? You know what I mean? Especially considering Giannis is, he could possibly leave or, I mean, obviously I think he'll stay, but he's 28, 29 now. So is it four or five more years or 10 more years of what that is? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I think. We have to look at valuations separate from wins and losses. I do yeah. I do think that a hot run or uh, a legacy being built does raise the valuation. I mean, you look at the New England Patriots, and I just remember them when they had the, uh, the red coats on their helmets hiking the ball. And I'm thinking to myself, this might be the worst – football franchise ever like i've never known them yeah. to win you know what i mean like i never knew yeah, them to win like the, or like the knicks but it's still yeah still profitable yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but i mean i understand the knicks is in new york there'll always yeah. be that valuation but i'm saying like new england i always saw them as bad but then when they got brady and now you know they are who they are with the historical run that they've had like now they're one of the most recognizable franchises in the world 
And so I think from that point, their history has helped them or the winning history has helped their valuation go up. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, you just brought up the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks have made the playoffs, what, once, twice? Okay, twice in it. the past? Yeah. No, a couple decades. <laughs> yeah, since I've, been in, since I've been in the league, I think Melanin went to the playoffs once, twice. Yeah. And then this team has been once or twice. Once. Yeah, they, yeah, once. That's what I'm saying. I mean, they celebrate after a home split. They had a parade in the street, so that tells <laughs> you what what's what with that. No, but I'm saying they'll still be the most valuable franchise in basketball mm -hmm. or up there. Like, I think the Warriors are number one right now, according to the latest Forbes um, rankings, but the Knicks are two, three, and they'll always be right there yeah. just because of the market yeah. itself. Um, but when you go back to – like, some people would say, why – would the Suns' valuation be higher than the Milwaukee Bucks? And I think um, market size does play a, a role in it. Yeah. It's just like tech, you know, one of the first questions I ask when I'm a company's pitching me is, you know, how big is the uh, addressable market? You know, how many people can you get access to that want or need what you're providing? And the bigger markets will get bit more people, you know, and Phoenix is one of the bigger markets. Just like I was, yeah. I didn't notice, but Philly's like the seventh biggest market in the country, you know, so yeah. um, their, their, their sports franchises are always going to be very valuable. Um, and so what I did see was it was a 7X um, investment from Lashry, you know, from what he put yeah. in to what he's getting out. I mean, what's that? It's uh, a $500 million valuation. When he bought the team, now it's at three point five billion. The valuation, and so he's seven x. You know, um, five to ten percent annually is a great invest. Is is great yeah. money on your money in terms of uh, whether you're invested in you know real estate or uh, stocks or bonds. Like five to ten percent is amazing, and that's point zero five or point one zero. And you talk about seven x. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's astronomical. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's like tech numbers, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it makes you, you got to dive into, I'm not saying like Milwaukee can never make a resurgence, but I mean, legitimately, like the outliers that occurred, like, you know, Antetokounmpo being there, you mix in Chris Middleton, you mix in the Drew Holidays. Now it's uh, the energy and excitement are sold out every night. Not saying that's, that has everything to do with something, but I mean, that's, it's a big deal. And sometimes it's like, is that consistent and when does that peak you know right right no no for sure and i thought this when phoenix made that big trade to get chris paul and over the years we have i have been hearing rumblings of uh sarver the former governor of the suns possibly selling a team i know a few folks who put in bids to get a small piece of the team uh, and be partners with him. Um, and I also heard he would never sell, but when he started making those bigger moves, they built a new practice facility. Yeah. Uh, they stopped practicing in that small gym within the arena. They use it for events now. They made uh, arena renovations. When I started seeing that, I thought he's positioning himself to sell the team. And uh, he got in really early with that yeah. team, or he got at a lower yeah. valuation. So he's like 300. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. He, he just yeah. went crazy. Um, so, you know, yeah, he went, he went beyond 10 X, you know, they call it a 10 bagger in our world yeah. when, you, when you can get a 10 X investment. Um, so I think it's timing too. Now you're starting to see a lot more people uh, having access to uh, buying teams with the private equity firms and you know the sovereign wealth uh funds that are out there it's going to continue to run up uh, i'm interested to see you know how far this goes because you know once you run it up to a certain amount who's yeah, going to be able to have the amount of money to actually participate in ownership yeah because like, what's, what's going to go next you sell it for eight billion nine billion like you know what i mean yeah, like who has enough to buy for fifty? <laughs> yeah, or like whatever, whatever it is. Or like it's a game. Like when's the game going to cap off? It's like uh, you know the basketball player is the number one target right now. So when is when would a game stop being unsexy? Hopefully never. But you know what I mean? Right, right. I, I think in that case, in terms of valuations, you can start having those conversations about teams being publicly traded entities, which. Yeah. We've, we've heard it might never happen. You know, it's, there are a lot of positives to being a privately uh, ran league. You know, you don't have to show your books, you know. Uh, yeah. I had a crazy thought. Um, 
about stripes but like i was saying before uh <laughs> i felt you on that bro not only that bro it's like i remember lou willis said something one time he's talking to a rap and it was the truth he's like bro i'm not your fucking kid dog. Yeah. like i'm not your child like and it's, it's a truth it's like i'm literally not your child don't yell at me like that don't talk like you can't respond like that and it's just like it's literally if he said what he said, bro, like, then st stay out the streets. Like, that's on you, bro. Like, they got you. They literally have records, fam. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah, it's wild. Bro. It's wild. It's wild. So, I will say, um, you know, the topic that came up was who bought that large majority stake in the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, which is Jimmy Haslam, who was also mm -hmm. the owner of the Cleveland Browns. Oh wow! Okay. Yes, and so it's a theme for Midwest teams, right? And so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but he has an interesting history with being an owner. Uh, obviously, with being at the Browns, and uh, they went a while without winning there, so they had their hard time. So, um, there was always that conversation with the owner or governor of the team in terms of was it an investment that they were just looking to uh, look at as an asset or it was something that they were truly passionate about that they wanted to go to into that made winning number one. And I know you've seen both sides of it too. You've been, on, you've been with organizations where winning wasn't the priority. You've been in organizations where winning was, and then you've kind of been in the middle. And then if people don't have a proper understanding or they may be asking, well, who would be in sports and winning is not the objective, it's you, like, no. Yeah, you could just go back to uh, what's my man from the Clippers' name before? Donald uh, Sterling? Sterling's whole, his whole uh, game plan, his blueprint was to get cheap assets and just get the money out of them, you know? And it's like buying a house and you renting it over and over and over again, knowing with inflation the rent's going to go up, but you never make improvements to it. And you, you purposely not you purposely don't make renovations because you don't want you know uh you know cost of service or cost of goods to put into mm -hmm. it uh you know uh, operation expenditures is what they call it mm -hmm. as well uh so you just let it be ran down knowing that it's going to be a money maker regardless of how it looks so you basically mm -hmm. just keep running like the slums and you're going to keep getting the number yeah. one picks too like the i mean with the sixers we didn't even have a practice facility he just ran it he got in a business deal uh our ed snyder right and this in the nba you can literally it's the only place where the billionaires act like they got into it to win or like do whatever. And then when it comes down to the lockout, they swear they don't have any money. They swear the organization's not making money, but no businessman is going to go into a deal where they lose money. And you got some players uh, offering to pay the arena workers because they were out of jobs. Now that was the crazy. Uh, but I mean, that's just, that's just sports. Uh, in a nutshell, or how it can be when you get outside of, you know, the actual game, which is supposed to bring us together, unite us, community, uh, the business side uh, tends to outweigh the actual artistry sometimes. And, and I think that's where you have these disputes. And that's when, you know, ultimately the fans suffer the most, which brings me to a point. For me, I'm an advocate that I will go on record saying this. I'm an advocate that the higher like the top 10 athletes are underpaid. Like I do truly believe that, you know, I've said that before. I don't know if I've yeah. ever said it publicly, but you know, LeBron's, the Steph's, you know, that. I mean, the, the yeah, LeBron was getting 14 million for like three years straight. Correct. He's like the top athlete in the world. Right. As we go forward as athletes, we got to take care of the next generations because, you know, we've seen what we've seen, been through what we've been through and we got to keep it in a better place. Uh, so they do the same thing for the next generation and the money keeps going up. So we did our job, but. But then at the same time, if you saw how, you know, the, the, the owners are probably living, the owners are probably get, getting it. Like, we're probably only getting, the players are probably only getting 4% of what they're supposed to really be getting. You know what I mean? Or 5%. Like, but at the same time, I feel like the owners and what they do is kind of on a tuck. Right. You know no, for saying? sure. Like, we're, for sure. We're, sh we're sharing a private jet. They're literally having eight, nine private jets. You know what I'm saying? So, so here's the question I got for you. There's a, there's this thing of player empowerment versus uh what's the word 
Like you're holding them account of player accountability, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah. player is, is there there's an empowerment that players have are starting to yeah. have, and I think yeah. they're trying to shape that relationship or that word into something that is yes more positive. But sometimes that empowerment can become entitlement, and yeah. when you have entitlement, you know you get guys who may not play in a certain game because they're not up for it. It's, you know, like we always say, there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that brings me to my next point. I think there that, 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 that is an issue, empowerment versus entitlement. Because, you know, you got guys who will whine a little bit or, you know, we got flopping at an all-time high. We got bickering mm. at the refs at an all-time high. But we got a ref issue at the same time. I hope I'm, I shouldn't get fined for that. Like, mm. you know, I think we all need to, we all play our roles in it, players and, and ref and leagues. Um, but with that, my question leads to load management and your thoughts there. Should there be less games? Because I've been hearing conversations about that. And based on the data that I've been gathering, I see both sides of it. So would like to get I your feel, thoughts on it. I feel like there should just be less games. I okay. feel like that's what everybody's screaming for. I know they've been trying to spread out the season over time, but I think also as well, there's been an influx of upgrade of, uh, you know, the, the health and performance part of the game. It's a whole new crew. What I've seen in the past couple of situations, I feel as though like, not only do they have a loud voice, but they hold a heavy value. So sometimes it's not even a player. I'll see guys literally just get sat down or shut down based off what the health and performance team thinks. And sometimes the game really reverts back to maybe 68 games a year for certain guys. And it's right. just being like more realistic. And I think for all the complaining, it kind of messes up the brand of basketball, especially when we're somewhat like, you know, downhill with it. Right. And I feel as though we have to really – you know, people have been screaming about shutting down like the 82 games and going somewhere in between, you know, 65 and 75. I feel like that might be a real thing, especially for guys to play at the highest level if you really want that to be it. I know one thing is playing like injured, but but at the same time, not everybody's built the same way. Like you got guys, that if they got injured t or went back in the game once or listened to the staff, they'll just protect themselves and be like, yo, you know what? I'm straight. Like, I want to shut it down. You feel me? Right. Now, here's my mm -hmm. other question. This is my question to you. Why is the narrative that the players are the ones who – the players don't want to play. They want to make all this money, and they only want to play 60 70% of the game. Why doesn't the public perception understand that in nine times out of ten, like you said, it's the staff saying, you know, you shouldn't – play tonight like today I had off and I kind of I wanted to go to gym but you know my load and my numbers said no get off your feet and you yeah. need to rest today you know what I mean and that happens on game days so it's almost like we talk about lobbyists or we talk about yeah. you know how do you uh put the public image out there we talk about live golf versus yeah. uh, the PGA and how the narrative is going towards the PGA and they're killing them well I feel like this is very similar and I'm not I'm not understanding how you know we keep having these conversations saying like no, I I wanted to play tonight, but you know it was told to me is best by the organization that I sit out. Yeah, I just think the numbers are at an all time high. So when it comes down to it, a lot of folks who are maybe making six figures or five figures is like, how's he sitting out a week and a half and he's making a million dollars a game? Like mm -hmm. if that was me, I'd be on a block. You know what I mean? And that's I think it's just something as simple as that. No, I got you. No, I'm, I I hear what you're saying. Um, and I do think that 82-game season, historically, it makes sense to me for record-keeping. You know what I mean? Yeah, like four, uh, three, two, two. Yeah. Yeah, for record-keeping, you know, for, you know, just stats in general, you know, assists, yeah. points, rebounds, games yeah. played, so on and so yeah. forth, longevity. And I always would yeah. say, you know, Richard Jefferson had a great um, thought on it in terms of this is what separates the best in the world from everyone else. like being able to mentally get through 82 games. Like, I always had it in my mind that I was going to play 82 games. Like, I yeah. think I saw the Michael Jordan card and games yeah. played, GP, 82, 82, 82, 81, yeah. 80, 82, 82. Like, that was beautiful to me watching. But I have been, you know, go ahead. No, I remember back in the day in the locker room, it'd be like, yo, shout out such and such. He played 82. 
he played 82. And like, I remember being a, I think a rookie played like 81 or whatever, but I remember being like, oh, that's a thing. Make sure you play every game. Like right. you're, if you're available, that was just like, I feel like a thing amongst like the old school players. If you're available, you play because it's a token of honor to play all 82. Like that's a tough guy thing you've been, yeah, I mean, it's a big deal, bro. To be there. For sure. All 82 games. For sure. And yeah. I think the other side that gets lost in translation is the TV deals. And you're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of RSN regional sports networks um, have yeah. been faltering uh, under bankruptcy. I think it's Bally, Bally Sports Network. I forgot who their parent company is, but they they haven't paid, they ain't paid a bill. So it's looking like there's going to be a totally different look on the you know, regional sports works. And, you know, however you watch your home team's games um, and, you know, they have blackouts. And uh, like I said before, I've been listening to a lot of, uh, business of sports podcast, whether it be the NFL um, or it could be uh, the NBA or MLB. Uh, but the NFL, you know, it's 18 games, you know, 17, 18 games. Yeah. So every game matters. But, you know, you look at sports like baseball, hockey, basketball, there's uh, 82 in basketball and hockey. There's 162 in it's baseball. 162, I think. Right. Yeah. And so I was reading about how the regional sports games, like the big games are the money makers. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Whether it be the T- TNT games or the uh, ESPN games, uh, ABC games on the weekends. Um, and then obviously you have uh, your streaming services wanting to make a bid for it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Apple Plus has uh, the MLS now, which is less games too. Just the economics of it all doesn't make more sense to charge more for less games as opposed to not as many folks caring about too many games, if that makes sense. And so I've been doing a deep dive on that, just reading on that and trying to come up with a, I mean, chat GPT, you can figure the shit out on your own, can't you? Um, So it's going to be very interesting to see how we continue to um, go forward with the game and how we view it. Um, You know, I have been reading about ESPN and they want to be the app uh, where everything sports is ran through, even things from Apple TV with uh, MLS or Amazon. Uh, it, whatever app you have that you have your sports on, you can connect it all in one place to ESPN. And, and But I'm really interested to see how these regional sport networks uh, come about because those are big deals. I think the, the Lakers had like a billion-dollar deal with Warner, right, back in the day uh, for yeah. their regional, regional sports. So, something like that. Yeah, and I know the Warriors is – they had the uh, grandfather. They had the grandfather theirs in. So there's, you know, there's a uh, severely undervalued, uh, and they, I think they might have missed the window in the grand scheme if if there continues to be an issue with these regional sports networks deal. So um, that's going to be interesting. Um, oh, one other thing that popped up. Right. There is news that Adam Silver could be a candidate to be next in line to take over Bob Iger's job as the CEO of Disney. That would be, I think he would do great at that. I really think he could rekindle some shit. If he I was got able, my thoughts. Why? I got my thoughts. Like, I'm not going to lie, I'm, a, I'm an Adam Silver fan. So Me like, too. Okay, bet he can do no wrong in my book. Like, I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, like, <laughs> nah, he can do some wrong, but like, it, can, it don't seem as worse as- No, like, no, no. I see what you're saying, but- yeah. You know, there was there's been a lot of chatter about the difference between him and David Stern. And there are two types of CEOs. There's a wartime CEO and there's a peacetime CEO. You know, when you're yeah. doing well, you're an up and up, there's a CEO for that. But when things you gotta get in them trenches, you gotta make massive layoffs as we see in this tech world now, you gotta have a CEO for that. And so I think they're both well suited for uh their timing. Uh yeah. but they are different. Um I will say <laughs> the way that uh, some of our athletes might be taking their blessings for granted, it might be time for Adam to, hey, man, I'm tired of dealing with the bullshit. <laughs> no, that's, that's, <laughs> that, was my, that was my thought. Hey, man, I don't want to deal with these uh, miscreants. Getting, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's getting crazy. Like, the numbers are getting crazy. It's getting buku, but... I feel him. I just wonder who would be next. Like, I know Tatum. Uh, Mark Tatum is deputy commissioner, correct? I believe so. Um, so, um, 
I wonder what type of rain he would have. But that's going to be, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing who's who's next at Disney. Point forward. Speaking of movies, um, Creed, Creed 3. I, wanna, I need to see it. So I was supposed to go about an hour and a half ago, but we had work to do. Um, but Michael B. Jordan, shout out to him. He's yeah. become like the next Denzel. Is he there yet or not? I, Man, I'm not saying he's there yet, right. but I, I, this is the I, this is the best opening weekend for a sports movie ever. They did 100 million globally. Um, it was the first of its kind. It's the third one. He's directing it, and then my man, who's uh, co-starring with him, has been on a Jonathan tear. Major. Yeah, he's been on a tear. No, he's been doing his thing, but he also has some stinkers. But I will say this: <laughs> do not compare. I, I'm a big no. Michael B. Jordan fan. Classy dude. I agree with unbelievable. you. Unbelievable. Like even when I was like, bro, he's not a good actor. He just kept doing better and better and elevating. But like, come on, bro. Denzel had that shit since day one, dog. Wait, they said like oh, some, and they said Jonathan Major is supposed to play Dennis Rodman. He's going crazy. That's crazy, bro. Damn. That's gonna be a good movie. Man, seriously? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go see that one. I wonder mm-hmm. who's going who's going to um direct that movie. That's what I wanna know. Man, sh- Spike Lee, how about nah, hell no. Nah. No, nah, but it, I wonder what movie that is, because you know they got the Nike movie coming out with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. That'll be out next month. I'm looking forward to that one. It's on Sonny Vaccaro and um, Air. It's called Air. It's called, and Phil Knight. Yeah, yeah, it's called Air. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That's, That's going to be, be a movie. dope movie. Oh, Dennis Rodman is going to be executive producer on a movie about him 40 hours in, 48 hours in Vegas. Wow. If they're not going to show like Coke and all that, I don't want to see it. I want to see the real. Who I playing Carmen Electra? Um, I, he had shoot, Tony Mar- Braxton too. No, he oh. didn't. Did he? I saw a picture. I saw a picture of him and Tony Braxton. Like, and he had Madonna too. Rodman was getting to it. Now he's getting to it for sure. Yeah, but who playing MJ? <laughs> what role is MJ? MJ not gonna be in the movie because he MJ was in the court. Be in the movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or he had to go get him. He did he had have to go, go get him from across the street, bro. But I just feel like MJ not doing that, fam. He I not mean, not letting that happen. MJ can't say don't put someone that's playing me in the movie, you can't do that. Yeah. Because it's like Showtime. They, you know, they didn't prove that. They're going to the uh, Supreme Court over that. <laughs> All right. Man, that's a winning time or Showtime? Uh, winning time. Man, that was a good series, man. It I was. Don't know why they I mean, shout out to Jerry West, but like, it seemed, be- I'm like, Jerry, with all due respect, it seemed believable, but I feel you. Fuck it. Like, be mad. Like, <laughs> rock. But I'm, I, I hope season two come back. Point forward. March is also Women's History Month. E.T., who are some women you would like to shout out while we're here in March? We're going to shout them out all month. Shout out to Mom Dukes. Of course, shout out Mom Dukes. Who are some of your favorite female athletes of all time? How about that? I like, like Cynthia, did, Cynthia Cooper. Was Cynthia late. Cooper was cold. Diana Taurasi. Um, How old were you when you first saw Diana Taurasi who? I feel like I was like 10 or 11 or something. Really? Dang. Yeah. You've been around that long? Yeah, man. Yeah, around 10 or 11, maybe. What year was that? Was that? Oh, uh, because she, she was big time. She was big time in college for sure. Yeah. Um, so. I remember um, um, Shamika Holesquaw. Shamika Holesquaw. Shamika Holesquaw. Man, Maya Moore, I'm not going to lie, was still one of my favorites. Easy. Uh, and then, like, just recently, I mean, I'm a big Caitlin Clark fan. And, uh, she cold. Yeah, I, I'll be. I watch yeah. her play basketball. Like I'll stop what I'm doing and watch her hoop. And I don't stop to watch many people play, men or women. Um, okay. And last but not least, bro. I, I mean, obviously, not even like to bring. I don't know where she's at now, but Sammy Prey Hollis, Styles P, Cole Hooper from back at Ohio State back in the day. She I'm sorry, was I my, wasn't. I wasn't watching the Ohio State back. then. You weren't watching it, but she was one of my favorite hoopers, like to ever. Like ever watch. Like shout ever. out to my girl Shantanese Polk. R.I.P. Shantanese. She passed uh my rookie year in the league. Um, she was just a junior in college and um she had a blood clot that led to a oh, cardiac okay. arrest. I had talked to her like throughout that week before she passed too. So that was like the cl- real close friend. She was breaking all the rebounds and um and, and scoring records at U of A. Just a bright individual. Like, she always lifted me up. So, shout out to Shantanese. Um, you know, we still missing you. Well, as uh, most of you know, our down for that, clown for that. 
series. Um, if new listeners, ET and I, uh, we agree on a lot of things, but not everything. Down for that, clown for that is where we take a stance on trending subject and decide whether we are down for it or have to clown it. ET, you Netflix for the first time has a live show, and yep. they decided to roll it out with Chris Rock uh, when he closes out his new live comedy special, and he went in on Will Jada and the Slap for ten minutes. Did you get a chance to see that? I saw that. Actually, I stayed inside and watched it live. So it was pretty... Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, I planned my night around. It was a lovely night. I watched that in UFC fight. It was actually all right, bro. Shout out to Netflix. That was a great idea. Okay, well, but, I was I was able to see it live. So I saw it live at the uh, Chase Center where they booed Elon Musk. And so... Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. To, so go, I, to go with uh, this, uh, you know, down for that clown for that. Were you down for it or clown, or is Chris Rock a clown for the way he went in on them? I want to ask you, what you think? So, I saw pieces of the live version clips. It wasn't as clean as when I saw him at Chase. Okay. So, at Chase, it was funnier. And honestly, I was down for it. I, I'm not going to lie, too. When, when After I watched the G, I was like, man, he. I felt like he got something off my chest. Like, right. You understand what I'm saying? I'm like, thank you, bro. Like, thank you. Like, thank you. Like, thank you. Like, I appreciate it because, like, things was wilding. Like, do you know how this man, she had, bro, she had my idol, bro, on TV. Discussing it. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, bro, what type of game is this? It looked like it? to bring Man. it back, not to not bring it back up, but you have to. I didn't know what to think when I'm watching it. Like, why was I even watching it? I normally don't watch the Oscars, but when it happened, it was like, wait, is this real? Like, come on, bro. Only thing I want to watch is TMZ handcuffing Will Smith and being like, <laughs> <laughs> apparently it was a assault and battery. No, I'm just, I'm just like, I don't want to watch, but bro, that was a wild moment, my G. That was. That was that whole I can't I can't, it was like a boon. Yeah, it was like, like boon doc said, episode. Yes. Yeah, well, my my history teacher said never read fiction because the world is crazy enough. That's a bar. That's almost as good as the uh, Bobby Knight yeah, the journalism prostitution, prostitution yeah, correlation. Like, yeah, I was like seventeen. I'm like, ain't that about a bit? You right? Like, that is a bar. Yeah, like, bro, <laughs> you want to find something crazy? Go outside, bro. It's like wow. I was like 17 years, so I just stopped doing it. He's like, there's no point in reading fiction. He's like, the world is crazy enough. He's like, go read the news. Like, people are wilding out every day. He's like, so you don't need to get... Yeah, he's like, you just need to be alert so you can get away from the bullshit, not be in a book. He's like, the bullshit outside. I don't even know if I should speak anymore after you just said that. But I'm a, I'm a very pro, I'm very pro nonfiction. So when people say they read fiction books, I always ask them... You know, what do you get out of it? But they say creativity, you know, you can get away from, yeah. you know, it's their, it's their own version of being what some people would call high, I guess. You know, you just your escape, your release. But yeah, I can't read fiction books. It's like, no, nah, I'm cool. Like, like, but I never thought about it like that. I'm, I'm always knowing where something bad going on. Yeah, no, nah, but think about <laughs> like, how I ain't crazy, going over there. Yeah, when you break it down, think about how crazy it is. That's existing. We act like that's regular life. It's like, bro, it's a real human out here eating people face off, bro. Like on some goofy shit. Like Florida man acting a fool every other day. Like that's Florida man ODing. Like, <laughs> oh man. So, all right, so we in agreement on what? What? What do you think though? Like with the. Uh... How do you think Will Smith and Jada respond to like what he said? Because he did drop the B word. He was mad aggressive saying like, yo, I'm not the one that, you know, hooked up with my son's best like friend. Like, yeah, I mean. And, and where does the and where does the Smith like remember back in the day, like Will and Jada was like our couple. You know what I mean? And, and where does that go for like, man, that hurt, bro. When she, when she did well like that, bro. I'm like, what else is she doing to you? She got you on camera letting you say I had an entanglement. I'm like, entanglement? I mean, 
That's her. It's Women's History Month, and yeah. so I feel like men have treated women a lot worse. True, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely you. That's an understatement. I'm, I'm gonna get. There. I'm gonna get some cool points on that one. Point forward. Now let's get into our conversation with someone who also did a bit in Tucson, my alma mater, University of Arizona. That's right. As we mentioned earlier, this week's guest who sat down with us in Utah literally hours before playing in his first All-Star game is in the midst of an incredible breakout season. Join us in welcoming a newest jazz star, a native of Finland, and as Andre mentioned, a fellow former Arizona Wildcat, Lowry Markkinen. You know, all the way from uh, Finland by way of uh, University of Arizona, our Finnish friend, Lowry like Mike Lowry, marketing. Thank you. Thanks for coming, man. How you doing, man? And congrats on the first All Star, everything like yes, that. Yes, thank you. Thank Same you. Doing your thing. Yeah. Love the beer. Shout out, man. Well, you were specific in saying Mike Lowry and how to say Lowry. Yeah, so how, how you, you know Mike Lowry? <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. When when did you first see it? Uh, sometime when I was a kid. Uh, Are you serious? I, yeah, I can't remember uh, when that was exactly, but I mean. I've seen it a couple times for sure. <laughs> so when you, when you start telling people like like Mike Lowry, like it, what? Since it's either Mike or Kyle. <laughs> oh, okay, either one. <laughs> I'm very interested. You're like you, that's my you, hotel name on the road though. Oh, oh not, now you got to change it. I, I mean, this year <laughs> I, this year I've been just Lowry Markham, but like last couple of years I was Mike Lowry. Okay. Then I recognize. I mean, mine, it got to a point that I didn't need that name. So yeah, mine was Rod Tidwell. I was. Rich Blackman for a hot second, but I like Miss. I can't give. I can't give mine up. It's from a Chappelle. It's a Chappelle character though. Mm. Chappelle. Okay. Chappelle. Yeah, but if you pay attention. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. If you pay attention. He he markets it. Yeah, yeah. True story. Yeah. yeah. You know, your game has spoken to me for quite some times, and I obviously started at University of Arizona. We we're alumni from there, but my guy Pete Myers, he put me on to you like early. Hey, pro, this kid right here, pro. And this was when, this was when uh, my guy in D.C., he was the first, he was Dirk, the Knicks. Oh, yeah, Christoph Porzingis. So this is when Porzingis was baby Dirk, mm. right? This is when he was, this, said, was, mm. this is when he was, this is when <laughs> Porzingis was like, okay, he's on the trajectory to be Dirk. And Pete Myers said, this kid right here is better than Porzingis. And I'm like, huh, this is when you were a rookie. So obviously we we trying to figure out who guys are. Yeah. And I was like, that's a very interesting take. So from that day forward, I have been watching you very closely. And one of the things he said is you got you got that swag to you. You know, we call it you got that brother yeah. in you. You know, you we got it's our, our cream series is, you know, flipping that reverse racism in terms of, you know, most places we're at, we're the minority. But being a, a white NBA player, you know. It's the other way. So now you're the minority, and we we tap into that. But you know about Mike Lowry, and so now I'm really like, wait, who, who, who is this dude? Yeah, I'm trying to understand too. I, would never guess. I yeah. mean, he fitting right in. Yeah. So you know, just talk to us about how you got here today. You know, how did you become the basketball player you are? How did you get the the disposition you have? Or you know, was it just being into basketball that you got tapped into culture? Uh, I mean, just growing up in Finland, first of all, just didn't see a lot of bas NBA basketball, just with time difference. And yeah. uh, you guys weren't on TV. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, just see, like, the only games I remember was, like, 2009 finals uh, with the Lakers and Magic. Oh, wow. But that's, like, that was always your dream just to get there. I, I mean, it wasn't a real realistic goal, but that's kind of what pushed it forward. And then just step by step trying to make my way in the league and like you said throughout Arizona and just now here just trying to make it I mean that's the goal every day yeah. so where'd you go once you realized you wanted to try to make it to the NBA like give us a you know a view of what Finnish basketball is like because you know obviously you want to first really make it to the NBA from Finland correct yeah yeah so the professional level, I mean, of course, it's getting bigger, but it's yeah. not like the top EuroLeague that you guys see yeah. the mm -hmm. atmospheres on social yeah, what's media the main all the sport time. over there? Uh, hockey. Hockey, okay. Yeah, so okay. I grew up playing hockey and soccer or football. Yeah. Uh, 
so th those were the three main sports I grew up playing. And, uh, yeah, just going out there through the – I didn't even play professional basketball. I just came from high school over there to right to Arizona. So kind of needed to get away and uh, learn some new stuff on this fall. So. What was it like, uh, you know, making a decision to be able to leave – Finland and just pick up and move to America and go play, you know, basketball in Arizona. Was everybody like, oh, God, you're crazy? Or were they like, good luck, Larry? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so just leaving the family and it's like a 24-hour travel. I don't know how long it takes to That's get get over there, but like halfway across the world and uh, just leaving by myself. And so it was pretty scary, but just going to Arizona, just knowing that they're going to take care of me. And uh, I needed that experience to kind of mm – -hmm. If I really want to make it, I need to be the independent guy. So that was definitely a step I needed to take. So what type of what type of kid were you? You know, where and and what type of values were instilled in you at a young age, or do you think you just had a natural competitiveness to you? To you know, what drove you at a young age? I think just my family being we're all professional athletes, so uh -huh. it's just most of them basketball players one soccer player and uh i think that's kind of i wanted to beat them in everything so bad yeah. two older brothers so yeah. always got my butt kicked but mm -hmm. that kind of pushed me and uh but that was my childhood really just put your head down and work you not you're not gonna get anything that you don't work for so that was kind of my mindset every day and uh just growing up it wasn't just athletics but we're, we were competing in everything just how much you can eat at the dinner or whatever. So <laughs> right. just growing up in that kind of environment. So yeah. so coming here, you know, your first day at Arizona and in America or whatever, what was like the biggest culture shock you had both on the court and off the court? He was at Arizona. It was a warm welcome. Uh, but, <laughs> I assume. Yeah, that, that definitely. <laughs> the AC was blasting. I was freezing inside. and <laughs> Out outside. And my teammate, Alonzo Trier from yes, Arizona, yeah. he was mm -hmm. just making fun of me. Out. Went to Popeye's and just didn't know what an English muffin was. So he was just <laughs> making fun of me of that. And uh, there was a lot of stuff like that. I didn't know what was happening. And uh, they, they kind of showed me around, my roommates. And uh, so they did a good job. And what about when you first hit the court? You know, obviously, what was the biggest adjustment, I guess, from the Euro game to the American game, how we, you know, really play? What did you think you had to get? Usually, say, Euros are usually soft, I guess. Did you think you had to pick up, like, the physicality of it or? The athleticism. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> I, I got here and started <laughs> laying the ball in, and uh, that was uh, out of bounds. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so now he's just got to go in there and dunk it every time. So that mm -hmm. was kind of a big thing to, to try to – I mean, you're either going to dunk it or get fouled. That's yeah. That was my mindset. But I picked it up pretty quickly after yeah. I got my shot blocked a couple times. And you did one and done at Arizona, right? Yeah. yeah. Six months, whatever. Six months. Was that the plan or, you, or you just fouled? No, so it? actually I, I went in. That's why I went to Arizona because it was a really comfortable spot to be in because I thought I'm going to be there for four years. Mm -hmm. And then around December, January, I'm like, yeah, maybe uh, there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely didn't think about being one and done. So I want to touch on that point. When was the first time you realized that, oh, this is actually something that I can, a goal I can reach playing an NBA? Probably throughout that year. Like I had a good summer in the like junior national team mm -hmm. leading up to the college year and then just playing pretty well and kind of seeing my name pop up a little bit more than right. I'm used to because mm -hmm. just playing overseas, it, doesn't really get that recognition and then it's like okay the nba is a real possibility and then just gotta keep going and stay healthy and i mean then at the end of the year it was kind of like i got i gotta go and take my well, leap right now because you never know what's gonna happen right so now, and the psychology behind that you know i like when a, a lot of athletes tap into that you know where our brains go while we're in those moments and we're in this college season but agents start finding ways into our parents. They start finding their ways into our walks to the dorm or our walks to our cars. And now you're thinking, oh, I can go to the NBA, but you still got unfinished business. And so there are pressures there. It's like, so for me, I have, that's where I develop, you know, the, my sleep deprivation. Like I start having problems sleeping. Like I, I never slept. 
you know, just anxiety of hearing all these different voices. And then obviously they don't want you to leave because, you know, school does well, the coach gets paid more money, so on and so forth. So what was going on in your mind or were you, were you able to block all that out? I think just what I said about like growing up, having that mindset that you just got to work for everything and being in school. My, I'm always being the team first guy. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was my goal just to try to go out there and win the national championship. And that really helped me kind of stay locked in day to day that we got to have a good practice. We got to beat this team to get to where we want to. So that really pushed me in, uh, of course, there's some ways that agents start reaching out and stuff like that, but I think I managed to do pretty well, kind of blocking yes. that, blocking that stuff out and focus on the main thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so the main thing is basketball. Obviously, you got drafted into Chicago. But going into that, starting out, what type of career did you say to yourself that you wanted to have? Like the type of impact that you want to have? We know you're still early in your journey, but you're going in there what, what were you saying like all right i didn't expect to go one and done but since i'm here the mindset was still kill 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 yeah so I, i've had a kind of checklist on my goals what i want to achieve nice and at a kid kid it was an nba like not really more than that and then once i got to the league it was okay i gotta come up with something more obviously like i said about the team stuff it's always to win games and obviously at the end of the day get to mountaintop and win championship but individually i put an nba all-star and then there's a nba all-star starter and whatever so mm -hmm. i never wanted to be just another guy i want to make make it to the all-star weekend and uh in, on the individual level that's what pushed me so you started your first year unbelievable obviously you're killing everybody the game versus the cast i think you had like six threes I remember playing versus you. You gave one of the best defenders on our team 30 points as a rookie. And then, um, you know, you see a lot of players come in with a hot rookie season, and clearly, for whatever reason, it kind of dwindled down a little bit. Can you go into your mindset of how you weathered that storm to, you know, go from being in Chicago to getting traded to, you know, Utah and really rising to get back to your goal, which was being an all-star with you? Yeah, so I had a pretty good first two years in Chicago and then third year kind of, of course, there's going to, I mean, third and fourth year in Chicago, yeah. they weren't easy. Like stuff's going to happen and yeah. you hit the, I felt like I hit the bottom and like halfway through my third year mm -hmm. and kind of wasn't there mentally and just, so I got to be thankful, thankful of like not everybody gets a second chance. Yeah. Yeah. I was so, worried about you. Yeah, yeah, I was so, like, where my guy at? Yeah, I was just like, well, damn, well, well, so what you, did he do? Yeah. <laughs> you start going downhill, yeah. but then I'm thankful for the Cavs to give me opportunity and kind of got the joy back of yeah. obviously wasn't there mentally last couple of years. So then like, Oh, we got a good team and a really fun year to be in Cleveland. And mm -hmm. obviously that then the trade happened, but I mean, I got to a great place, a great organization right now. And uh, so I, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. And mm -hmm. just, I mean, I, I think I had to go through those downtimes right. to really appreciate what's happening right now. So when did you, I mean, what were you telling yourself through, in those, down, through those down times? Because some guys, a lot of guys we know are really good and they fall into those pits and it's like, what happened to my guy? And they never make it out of it. You know, what can you say helped you get through it all like what did you see in yourself i think my family just having my wife and kids kind of helped me out i come home and everything's really good at home so i kind of try to not take the bad games to home and be disappointed but sometimes there was nights that i just got home after games and i was just laying in bed and like doing nothing for an hour and you got really i was in a pretty difficult spot but I think just setting the goals and I mean, I had the all-star goal and then I had smaller goals for each and every day kind of checklist that I want to, as long as I put the work in, I, I think I'm going to bounce back and get the opportunity and get to the level I want to get that. And just, just everyday grind. I think it was a tough time, but my family really pushed me through and uh, just focusing on little details. Beautiful. So coming into the season, you guys were one of the hot teams and really surprised everybody. And I guess a lot of times outside looking in, people are like, you're a surprising team. But 
coming in just due from the past trials and tribulations that you had early in the lead, did you, were you kind of one of the people that's just like, I'm not shocked. I know I'm going to come in and we're going to make something happen because right now Utah was, view, was viewed as a rebuilder more mm -hmm. so than what you guys were doing. Yeah, now. so for, first day I got here, I kind of looked at our, I mean, the guys were playing pickup. I wasn't playing because I just flew over from overseas and, like oh, you I, were killing in the uh you was killing yeah. in the national team. Yeah, yeah. but I, I got in and like kind of coaches gave me a couple of days of rest and I was looking at the pickup games like, oh, we got some hungry guys. And yeah. like I think we had plenty of guys come in from different teams and kind of mm -hmm. had their had that chip on their shoulder. Mm -hmm. Just they were going at it. I'm like, oh, we can do do something yeah. with this team and we just gotta get on the same page because like I said, eight or nine guys is coming in from different places and just being confident that we're gonna we can surprise a lot of people yeah. so and not listen to that outside talk of oh, oh they're gonna be bad and not gonna win a lot of games it's yeah. just we want to prove them wrong it's always weird when you have to like really trust your instinct because uh you forget the people that are saying all this never hoop and when you get in gym you're like i know we're supposed to suck but we might we might, have <laughs> some, we might do something like he's okay he's all right yeah yeah like, especially like individually i was i knew i was in such a good shape of coming to yeah. Eurobasket and just mm -hmm. I saw it in the guys that they're ready to go. They're not like just hanging around and getting to you know some teams start off slow and kind of coming to a training training camp and not be really ready ready to go. So mm -hmm. I think that mm -hmm. really helped us to get off to a good start. And then we were still trying to figure out kind of ways to keep that going and yeah. try to get back to that playoff race. So. Now I want to ask. You the question you talked about Euroball, and um, as NBA players, we know the ones that play on a national team. We understand how there can be a difference in a role a guy has in the NBA and a guy has on his uh, national team. And we always say one of the best national team players ever is uh, Patty Mills. Yeah. Oh my God, he is a problem. Unbelievable. And but we haven't played it, against him, and but it, I, I've seen. No, him. I played against him. Let me begin thirties and international like That's crazy, bro. And, and, and it's crazy. like, yo, why can't we stop this dude? And so you know, you got uh, guys on the Brazilian team. Spain has guys that never played in the league or played in the league for a hot second, go back, and they got some killers. But it's very rare that you see guys dominate on the Euro side with their national team and in the league. You know, you got your Dirks. You know, we talk about those those Hall of Famers, and so I want to know. What goes on your, in, in your mind? What goes on in your mind in terms of like how you're preparing yourself and what's your thought process on, because you have a very humble presence. And so, you know, and, I, and you're strong on the court. Like you're, you're a tough guy. Like we ain't pushing you around and you got the total package, but it's not like you're talking trash, you know, and you had a very humble uh, interview with Draymond and you were saying, you know, Draymond's never really said much to me, but I'm sure if he did, it wouldn't affect you. And so, what goes on your mind in terms of who you think you are and, and describe your game? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So I think the trade really helped me actually in a way since in Cleveland, I was kind of, I got the challenge of guarding the best player on the other team. And I really think I did everything for a team and everything they asked me for. And, uh, and I understand the business side of basketball and I, but then they still traded me. So I was like, kind of like, oh, I need to just go prove myself now. And then it started from that Eurobas kind of being the go-to guy mm -hmm. and knowing that other teams going to scout me and still try to win the game and pack the game. And Eurobas was really competitive with all, all the NBA guys going back. And uh, so that kind of helped me to, oh, I was able to do it against those guys. So right. now I just got to bring it over here. And I always going to, I'm always going to give credit to our coaching staff too. The first thing they said to me, like whatever I did over there, it's just do it in Utah. And uh, I kind of took that to heart and ran with it. Thank you. Because we talk about that all the time. You know, you talked about this a few times in terms of, you know, in certain places I'm the number one option. Like that's the, it's only one or two guys per team in the NBA that the don't have to change yeah. their game. Yeah. All of the 14, 15 guys, they got to sacrifice their game. And that's a skill set that a lot of people don't understand, like that can make or break why someone's in the league. Like, can you sacrifice a part of your game and still help the team win? And Evan's like, you know, I came off the bench and I'm the seventh man. And so what's my expectations? Like if I go out and I'm playing 20 minutes and I get seven, four and five, like I had a great night, but someone might say I didn't help the team, you know? And, but for you to actually understand, the coaches told me, hey, however you were playing over there, do this. 
Like, there's no more comfortable way of playing basketball when you know exactly what they want you to do when you go out there. And so that that's just, you know, applauding you for having that understanding. Yeah, and I think that goes to, like, just our team again because my game is not the standstill ISOs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it was easy to kind of jump into that system and because I'm playing a lot off ball and getting my stuff from that. So just it's easy for me to do that since I know I'm not going to, I mean, hurt the team with just holding the ball and playing ISO right. ball. So that really helped me kind of having that system and coaching. And we're really still working on it. We have a lot of, yeah. we haven't spent too much time. Right. I mean, it's been, what, a couple months yeah. <laughs> into the year. So we're still working on it. But, I mean, it's a great place to be and just be surrounded with that, those teammates and stuff like that. You say you have a list of goals of obviously being an all-star, an all-star starter. And to come with that, you have to put up a lot of shots. You have to be the focal point. And you have to have confidence to, to do that. But eventually, to come with that, it's a leadership responsibility. So how have you taken the leaps and bounds from going before saying you'd be a four-year player to having, you know, deep dirt pick to finish Chicago to leaving Cleveland and now you're an all-star, but eventually, once you become that all-star starter, everything else that comes with tremendous pack of leadership and, you know, what gives you the confidence to be going towards that way and stepping up and leading a whole franchise in a basketball crazy city? Yeah, I think it's the experiences that you see your teammates lead. And uh, I'm, I haven't been the who's going to give out the most motivational speeches before the game. I'm more of a guy to try. I'm going to talk to you one-on-one -on -one and... It, help, it has helped me that I've had teammates kind of lead the similar way. Like now Mike Conley was on the team. Yes. Great dude to learn from. You never got a technical. That's the only thing I don't like about him. <laughs> but I love him. <laughs> they said he got one. Oh, he got one. Apparently. Oh, he got one take. I thought yeah. he had one this year, but then they gave one. it to your boy Kelly. Kelly uh, on it. They didn't give it to him. Kelly never – he always gets a short end of the stick. But, but back yeah, towards your leadership. But yeah. yeah, just having that experience, seeing other guys, how they lead and the kind of, I mean, hitting that bottom in Chicago kind of, I mean, we weren't winning the championship in Chicago. So just, I mean, dealing with that, those expectations and seeing just a bunch of different stuff. And then uh, I think Cleveland, I always joke about it. I was 24 and there was a moment that, Oh, I'm the oldest guy in the starting lineup. That's like, crazy, bro. So that's, I'm, pro I'm more experienced than these guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I got I, I got to try to lead these guys. And uh, now when, once I got here, it's, again, back to Mike, he, we talked and I saw how he does his leadership part. And now, obviously, we traded him, but trying to – those are big boosts to fill. But, I mean, I think I'm understanding the role that I, I'm going to have to do in the future and – try to get better at I think you there's a saying uh, great artists create no good artists create great artists steal and so I'm only saying that because I've gotten some of my best motivational speeches or you know being able to communicate with teammates from someone else like Mark Jackson had the best pregame speeches I ever heard and it's just the gift of gab of being a preacher but you know I use a lot of those things and you talk about you know what you went through in Chicago you know no one understands what we go through as athletes in the NBA but us. And so, you know, we have to continue to have those dialogues. We talk about this in the union. And so just using those hardships can really help you become a better leader because, you know, you're talking to a guy who's going to go through what you went through and, and no one can tell him how to get through it, but you, because you've had the experience. Exactly. And, but I want to kind of transition into, I want to hear you uh, go into your uh, prima donna mode. Like, how do you view yourself when you're playing your best? You know, we call it Sasha Fierce, which is Beyonce's other side, right? Uh, her, she don't need Jay-Z money. But who, who are, who, how do you view yourself when you're just like, I can't miss, no one can block my shot because I'm, I'm, I'm my height. Like, what's going through your mind when you're, when you're having one of your best moments on the court? Yeah, so I think I've talked about this earlier this weekend, actually. I've gotten the question, and I think it was earlier in this year when I'm known to be a three-point shooter. But then beginning of the year, I couldn't hit a shot. And then I'm like, oh, I'm still putting up this, these numbers, whatever. And I'm like, I haven't, I haven't played my best game yet. And just, I know just trusting the work once the three ball comes back and uh, that's going to be, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking it's a wrap <laughs> after I get my three ball. Yeah. So that was kind of a, 
thing that's kept me going. And I think I still haven't played my best game, but just putting up career highs this year, it was like, oh, this is a good good feeling that I I know what I can do and mm-hmm. you can't stop it. <laughs> so I've had a couple of those games this year and uh, it feels pretty good. Now, who who are you looking to for inspiration? You know, what keeps you trying to continue to elevate your game? It could be yourself, but are, are there guys that you model your game after or certain things you were looking from another player to implement into your game? Uh, now I'm just thinking I'm like I got so much to get better at and I'm really just trying to be the best version of myself. Of course, mm-hmm. I, you have players that you idolize as a kid and like I started off from D-Wade and Kobe's and okay. moving to LeBron's and Dirk's and mm-hmm. uh, once I got a little bit older, but I mean, just now I'm just trying to be the best version of myself and I know how much I can get better at. Like, And we talk about it with uh, Coach Hardy all the time, just that we got so much to get better at. And so I break think, that down for me. What, 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 what do you want to get better at? You know, what do you feel like the areas of strengths and your areas of weakness? Uh, well, now playing more with the ball and just we play with three bigs in our lineup. So I'm playing more on the perimeter. And so going back to those guard skills and handling the ball, I think that's a big area of improvement for me. Mm-hmm. And I know once I get the the ball handling a little bit better and uh, so I can make my teammates better again. So just overall help the team better. And so if yeah. you could in your perfect world, what, what was your handle package be like? It could be crazy. You it's say not, Kyrie not, Rock. It's not like, going to be like Kyrie's. <laughs> but just so we can run a lot of stuff. Again, it comes once I have the ball more and I have to create for other guys as well, not just for myself. And uh, that's where I want to get to it, that I can – they're going to be sending double teams in, in the post and whatever, so I can make mm-hmm. those passes. That I see the pass, but I might not be able to – executed yet you right, know right, so right. that's a good problem to have it, it <laughs> is, <but laughs> well, I'll, you can I'll, make a shot so yeah well I and, and I didn't know we're natural passers so we're point forwards we were small forwards in the NBA but we were natural point guards and so we people always say you know you have such a great passing ability but we were just natural point guards um, but I heard uh, on the Draymond Green show he had on Kenny Smith and Kenny was talking about MJ and why MJ is the best player he's ever seen or why MJ is the best player and we didn't see MJ uh, after his freshman year of college, um, but Kenny did because he played with him at Carolina. And he said MJ didn't have a tight handle. MJ was just darting different places very quickly. He was like D-Wade a little bit in terms of like, you know, darting to the basket, using his athleticism. And uh, Kenny said, I got MJ. I'm just going to pick him up full court because he doesn't have a handle. And he said, uh, MJ, I heard that a few times during the season, came back the next after the summer, and Kenny Smith said, I got MJ. Cause he don't, and he's like, MJ knew what they were saying about him. He said, Kenny, so person. he said, Kenny, I got a handle now. And he said, he had a handle now. And he said, from that moment forward, I knew he was going to be the best basketball player ever. Like it was just crazy. And so, you know, just understanding that about MJ and, you know, go back and, you know, watch those old archives, you know, watch guys like Rod Strickland. Cause that's where Kyrie got it from. You know what I mean? Like Terrell Brandon was a multi-time all-star. You know, I always tell young guys. Oh, Terrell Brandon. Terrell Brandon was nice. And Cleveland, Cleveland guy. And if you go back and you, you know, just watch, dig in the film, you know, I don't know how much film you watch, but you know, there's a, especially those deep, dark moments. I always go back and watch myself when I was good. Like I found a new clip of myself. I was like, I was good. But you know, it, it, it takes you yeah, out of those places. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 look, sure. look, I don't I'm know done. what the fuck they talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm, done. Like, I'm not that guy. Like, look look what I can, what I can do. It's, like, it's a shame. It's a yeah. shame what they did to you. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up, right. you, you, it's a shame. I have a bright future. I, crack yeah. on that. I, I say it to my son. You go say it to your kids. I'm like, I play one on one with my son now. He's taller than me. And he can't stop me. He's like, you don't miss. I said, Steve Kerr got you fucked up because <laughs> I can do this. But, you know, just, you know, we're we going to wrap this up and we're going to let you go enjoy the game. Um, but I do want to ask this question. You know, uh, you got your extension. You know, uh, you got bonuses. Your agents are here. So I don't want to put them on the spot, but I hope you got all-star bonuses. Yeah. yeah. They took it. Good yeah. job. <laughs> <laughs> but um, suffering from your success, you know, we always talk about you know, it's always our dream as kids to make it to the NBA, uh, but we don't know what comes with it. 
you know, yeah. and obviously you you learned that, you know, just being down from a basketball perspective. But um, what comes with, you know, the fame, the fortune, being an NBA player, everyone knowing your salary, everybody knowing your alias now because you accidentally told them just being open and honest. And uh, but but what have you noticed that you could have never imagined would come with the success from a, you know, in a negative way, not to be negative, but just to give the listeners a glimpse of how our lives are. Yeah. So just growing up overseas, it's like. I mean, NBA looks that it's like just you play basketball and you everything's good. You get <laughs> you get paid this much money and uh, just get to do what you love to do. And obviously, I mean, that's basically what it is. But it's just a lot, a lot of off the court. I mean, stuff that you have to do. But I've I've learned to kind of enjoy it because mm. I know it's not going to last forever. Uh, just kids coming to ask pictures and autographs and first couple of years it was like I don't want to get recognized and I'm like kind of embracing it it's just it's fun and uh because I don't know if I when I get old I don't know if they're gonna know who I am you know so that's kind of my mindset it's just it's not gonna last forever so do what you can right now and uh just try to enjoy the journey yeah well you know in saying that I just want to really thank you I'm rooting for you you know obviously you know that um I was just talking to the kid from OKC from Santa Clara, Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams. Um, I'm a like a basketball stickler, so I usually hate uh, people who don't play the game the right way. And uh, there aren't too many guys with the complete package in the league anymore. And I only want to see the complete package. And I feel like you're one of those guys. So I have like a very short list of guys who I plan on following when I'm done playing, which is a couple months. So you will be one of those guys. Don't let me down. I will be yeah. at the games. I'm, yeah. uh, you know, Ryan's my guy. Uh, Todd's my guy now. Uh, Clark Miyasaki's my guy. D Wade's my guy. Chicago area. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure I'll see you around. Yeah, we'll be around. <laughs> and then sure uh, we got to get the Sean Miller guys and the cultural guys together. Uh, Sean Miller kind of split us up. Yeah, that was a dig at him. But <laughs> I look forward to seeing you more and more. And then, uh, you know, appreciate you, ET. I appreciate you. Keep doing your thing, man. Congrats yeah. on everything for real. Thank you. And and don't let go of that ego. Like you need your ego in the league. Yeah, right. You shoot yeah. 30 times a night, you egotistical. Keep shooting 30 times a night. For sure. For sure. <laughs> appreciate you. Yeah. Right. Appreciate you guys. Yep. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm.